Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia. And you get me, George Camel, And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to Merrin Talks Your Money, the personal finance edition of Merrin Talks Money. In these bonus podcasts, we get tips from experts across industries on how to make the most of your money. I'm Merrin Somerset Webb. This week, how to buy a used car successfully and how to keep your insurance low. I spoke with Ashley Winston, chief car finder and creator of Palmdale Car Finders. He specializes in used and new car and van sourcing, purchasing and valuations. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've written a lot of columns over the years about buying houses and about how completely insane it is that people go out to buy the most expensive thing they will ever buy, the thing that if they get it wrong can destroy their financial life forever, and how they do that without any proper advice. And I'm always saying to people, you know, even if you're buying what you might think is an inexpensive house, as opposed to a a super rich person's house, you still need to get someone on your side advising you because it's a huge purchase. Cars seem to me to be exactly the same. People will go out to buy a secondhand car, which is going to cost them £5,000, £10,000, £15,000, £20,000, up at the high end of the people you deal with, £150,000 plus, and they'll go out and do it without anybody on their side. They'll go out and get it from a salesman, which is exactly what you do when you're buying a house from an estate agent. You're buying a huge thing with no one on your side. So what you do is you're on the side of the car buyer. Right, 100%. And, and you've just described it perfectly because it's it's my biggest wind-up about this industry, about the used car industry, is the exception of property, there is such a massive difference between what you, the amount of money you spend at the top end and how you get treated down the bottom because the car salesman wants the profit in their pocket. That's all they want. They want their commission. Yeah, but that's completely reasonable, isn't it? I mean, this is how car salesmen make money. They sell cars and they take a commission on the car. So we're not blaming car salesmen here. This is the world is about incentives, right? The world is about incentives and that is their incentive. And your job as a car buyer is to recognize that incentive and behave appropriately. And if you can't manage that yourself to ask someone to help you do it, right? Um, so we recognize incentives in the market. We don't disapprove of incentives in the market unless they unless they result in immoral or illegal behavior. In the main, we're pro-incentives. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, pick up immoral for me then. Oh, uh, well, we could, we could start with the whole current uh, um, financial conduct authority um, issue with uh, all the mis-selling of finance products that's got on that. I, like I said, that's be immoral. Okay, interesting. Let's do that. 
I know I know you've said this yourself when you walk into a car dealer especially perhaps maybe one of the larger car dealers and you say I want to buy that lovely shiny car there the next question they're going to ask you is do you want that on finance and if you don't say yes to want that on finance then they get very disinterested very quickly which is completely opposite of what the what the FCA is trying to achieve they want everyone to be treated equally and fairly which means that if you're a cash buyer, you get the same treatment as if you're a finance buyer, but that doesn't happen in the marketplace. And it, it, and it gets worse because the problem that the financial uh, ombudsman service have at the moment is that up until January of 2021, there's something called discretionary uh, commission agreements, which were allowed. And what this effectively meant is that the, uh, the finance broker could set the interest rate where they wanted it to be because the higher the interest rate, the more commission they earned. So you had situations whereby you might have a, uh, to, to pick the heartstrings, a retired lady who um, had worked very hard and went to a car dealership and was told her APR was going to be 14.9% at a time when most normal people would be getting 4 or 5% and paying it because maybe she didn't know any better and the, the broker would earn a massive commission. So uh, I'm sorry, I think that's immoral. Okay, that is immoral. But also, as it turns out, it's not legal either. Correct. Yeah. And, there's, and there are going to be so many cases coming up. I mean, it's, it's sort of the point where the, the FCA now say, you know, they usually say you have to respond to uh, any, any case against you within a set period of time. They've thrown that out the window. You know, if you make a complaint now, you're probably not going to hear back from someone until September, October time. And they're okay with that. That's how they judge the volume of complaints that are going to... there's going to be that many. There's going to be that many. But you can't just go... I mean, let's just talk about how this happened, right? So there's, um, um, there will be thousands and thousands of people now driving around in cars on which they've effectively paid interest rates, two percentage points-ish. One of all the ones that I've looked at looks like two, two to three percentage points above what possibly they should have paid. And they should be able to reclaim the difference, right? They should, yeah. And it's, it's actually not that difficult. I mean, I, I've already seen and, and I actually had calls from the legal firms who want to, uh, to help you and take a, a cut of your money. But it's really easy. If you're not too sure whether you had a discretionary commission agreement or not, call the broker or the dealer uh, and ask them. They have to tell you. If you did then just submit a complaint to the Financial Ombudsman Service and wait a long while. It's going to be a long while, but it's as, it is as simple as that. Um, so you go to the Financial Ombudsman. I find that a very difficult word to say. Ombudsman, and they have Ombudsman, and they have a, and they have a special portal, uh, online portal, through which they put all these complaints, right? So it's not difficult to do. You should be able to do it yourself. And then if you're, if you're lucky, uh, you'll get a grant back. The, the FCA, what they have said is that... Um, Individual buyers on a £10,000 four-year finance package are paying something in the region of £1,100 more than they needed to. That's real money. This is real money. Martin Lewis that, that of uh, MoneySavingExpert.com, he reckons that this is going to be as big as the PPI mis-selling scandal. Um, and that was 40 billion quid. And it was a kind of people's QE. You know, everyone got this money back and suddenly there was a consumer spending boom. Uh, so maybe we'll get, get the same again. A consumer spending boom is everyone gets their money back. I really hope everyone gets their money back because they deserve their, their money back because the way they were sold these products is not correct. 
Okay, I'll tell you what, before we move on to talking about uh, cars in particular, which is, I know the bit you really want to talk about, let, let's talk about something else that suddenly looks rather more expensive than, than perhaps we thought it should, which is car insurance. Now, I was just, uh, my car insurance bill has gone up. John Stepek's car insurance bill has gone up massively. Our listeners are already fed up the back teeth of listening to him <laughs> talk about his car insurance bill. And uh, one of my uh, Twitter followers just sent me something saying, just had my car insurance renewal through from Churchill, my insurer of nine years, no changes. No claims, premium doubled. What is going on there? Okay, so I, I've heard terrible stories as well. Do you know what statistically the average increase over the last 12 months has been, percentage-wise? Do you want to have us hazard a guess? If we asked John Stepick, he'd say 100%, but I'm going to go 8. 21%, which is a lot. But you've got to bear in mind that the average uh, comprehensive car insurance policy in the UK now sits at £511. It's you know it, don't, don't, it, again it's still money but it's still not massive amounts so we've we've seen increases but there are these stories out there and, and much I don't want to add fuel to the fire I have to tell you about uh, a client that we were asked to buy a, a Lexus for last week and it, nothing major that's you know, not a ten grand car just it's a, a twenty it was a, a twenty it was a twenty five grand car and he's in his eighties and his claims history is um, we're supposed to be putting this not brilliant uh, and he I know that get, feeling. He couldn't get any quote apart from one where they quoted him. And are you ready for this? I am. £71,000 a year. So these Jeez. stories... Yeah, get these a stories taxi. Are, get uh, a taxi. We, in all seriousness, we actually figured that we could get him a Bentley and a driver and make him a lot more money than paying his insurance premium. I uh, hope that's what he did. It's my retirement dream is to have a Bentley and a driver. I really hope he did that. Dreams can come true. Sadly, he didn't, but you know, it, it still has time to change his mind. But yeah, so, you know, there, there have been increases in, in insurance, but the, the main reason is it's the cost of repairing cars has gone up. Yeah, part, car parts have gone up by, by a fair bit. In the last year, they've risen by about, well, general cost repairs have risen by about a third. So every time an insurer repairs someone's car, it costs them a third more than they did previously. Uh, car parts are up between 12 and 21%. So, you know, it's that's the parts alone. There's there's a, a major lack of supply. Certain manufacturers are really struggling. Land Rover parts are a nightmare. I know people who've had Land Rovers waiting for parts for six to eight weeks. Parts that the car can't run without. Um, Tesla, not so bad at the moment, but historically have had problems getting parts for their cars. I've I've, I've known Tesla drivers who wait seven or eight months to have their car repaired because they just can't get the part in that they need. And of course, as long as a car sits at repairer. The repair is charging storage. Courtesy cars. So yeah, courtesy cars have gone up, and it's just that that's that's a massive cost as well. Are there any signs of it getting any better? I, I don't think so. I don't think car prices are going to car part prices are going to come down. I don't think. And is this is this a, a global supply chain problem? Yeah, for for a lot of parts it is. Yeah, uh, and it, you know, it, it gets worse because then parts can't be shipped in the quickest way. They can't come via the Suez Canal at the moment. There's all you know a lot of lot of manufacturers were in Ukraine. It's, it's it's a whole lot of different factors that have come together to make it yeah a pretty pretty bad situation. Okay, so is the lesson there? Don't buy a Land Rover and don't buy a Tesla. Uh, I, can I say that without getting sued uh, on a podcast? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't can. buy a Tesla, and I now expect all the Tesla lovers to come and hate me for, for saying that, that comment. Land Rovers have, have a separate issue as well. Land Rovers uh, have been accused of being stolen left, right, and center. And the reality is not mm. all that bad. Mm. 
but uh, speaking to an insurance broker uh, a month or so ago who said that if you live in London and you have a new shaped Range Rover Sport or Range Rover, if it's parked on the street, forget it. If it's parked on the on the drive, 20 grand a year. So if it's parked on the street, you can't get insured at all. It's on the drive, for 20 grand a year. A year is, what they, is what they start at. Now, Land Rover have since launched, they have since put a lot of time and investment into their own insurance product because they want to solve the problem themselves. So that, that I, I think Land Rover insurance being silly money at the moment will change. But I think in general for all of us, I think it's going to be the way it is now for the foreseeable future. Tell me where the value is in the secondhand car market at the moment. Now, what's happening in the market as a whole? You know, we had this period, didn't we, post-pandemic when secondhand car prices went absolutely berserk because you couldn't get get new ones. And now that's turned around a little bit. What's the market looking like, looking like as a whole? And where are the bargains? Where's the place to look? It's a fairly recent thing that the values have started to come down and they've kind of leveled out a bit now, now on the used car market. I mean, th- there are certain things that are still struggling. I mean, it, it's, I think it's the same with any situation whereby when an economy is uh, not been as good as it has been previously, although uh, uh, I think we all believe it's going to get better for this year. But things like, you know, the top end of the market, the Ferraris and the Bentleys are a bargain right now because no one really wants to be, 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 be buying them. Okay, I'm, inter- I'm interrupting. I'm interrupting. What do you mean by a bargain in the context of a Bentley? That prices have come down by a by, significant, by a significant amount? amount? Yeah, okay. Yes, they're still expensive. So, you know, whereas a Bentley would have been uh, six months ago, £60,000, it might be as low as forty-five to fifty now. And that's in percentage terms, it's a huge decrease. Uh, uh, some electric cars are even worse. Um, because there's been a lot of bad PR about electric vehicles lately, and it, and it's not very fair. I, I was at a family gathering yesterday, and two separate members of my family were saying, oh, they can never have an electric car because they can't handle the charging. Now, I, I ran an electric car for three years, uh, and I, I ran it because I wanted to figure out how you wrap your head around charging it. And when you've got past that hurdle, it's actually really easy to um, to run an electric car. Um, but the the values have fallen through the floor. Uh, probably the most extreme example I can give you about electric vehicles is we sourced an Audi e-tron, which is their uh, Audi's big kind of family four by four electric vehicle. We sourced it for our clients uh, probably a little over a year and a half ago, and at the time you had to wait a year for a brand new one. So we paid a couple of thousand pounds less than this car would have been brand new at seventy two thousand pounds. Eighteen months down the line, the client wishes to change it for something else. We managed to get back from from our pilot exchange partners after trying everything we could. Thirty thousand pounds went from seventy two grand to thirty grand in the place of eighteen months, and they're continuing to fall. So right now, electric vehicles are are they're not a bargain, but they're getting cheaper. Isn't this about people recognizing how difficult it is to get new, new batteries? And as I understand it, we're moving into the bit where you're going to say you don't understand anything about cars, Marin. But you know the the, the batteries need replacing; yep. they're extremely expensive. The whole thing is quite difficult to repair, and so people are beginning to see that a second-hand electric car is not something you really want. I, I would I'd actually flip it on its head because for me, electric cars are much simpler than a petrol car. Because if you think of a combustion engine, how many thousands of parts are in there? Electric motor has got a fraction of the parts in there. You know, when Tesla first started out, they weren't producing the best quality cars. In fact, their build quality was pretty shoddy, to say the least. Yet there weren't massive reliability issues because electric cars are just so much simpler, so fewer parts. And there are, to give an example back to Tesla, there are Teslas on the road that have got 150, 200,000 miles and still retain most of their charge. 
but there are other manufacturers. When I, I drove, a, well, a mechanic of mine bought a Nissan Leaf that was 10 years old and done 30,000 miles, and its battery range was down to about a third of what it was previously. And a part of it depends on how you treat the battery and cars are getting better. So the technology is, is progressing, but I wouldn't necessarily say that an electric car is going to not last as long. And, for, and the feedback I get is it's about the charging of it, not necessarily reliability of it. But I think as, as the year goes, as I think as 2024 carries on, electric vehicle prices are going to carry on reducing to such a level that I think people who don't want EVs are going to be buying them because actually they're, I think they're going to end up being cheaper than their petrol and diesel equivalents. People buy them just because they're cheaper. And I think that's going to be an interesting time to live in. Interesting. So you are pro-Bentleys, pro-electric cars at the moment, but I think you're anti-hybrid. Is that right? Am I anti-hybrid? Oh, I have to cut out. Yeah. I mean, I look at I look at people who have hybrids and I'm like, what is the point? You've just made your car a whole load heavier. And I know, I know you never plug that thing in. You're, okay. So there's three types of hybrids. And what you've mentioned there is a plug-in hybrid. And plug-in hybrids I do have an issue with because you've just made the point exactly right. You are towing around the weight of a combustion engine and an electric drivetrain. Self-charging hybrids, the ones where we don't have to plug them in, I, I, I go hot and cold about. And I go hot and cold because if you look at it on paper, they actually are better. And, and it, it varies manufacturer to manufacturer. So Toyota have always done hybrids. Toyota love hybrids. They, everything they do, they do hybrids. And at the same time, Toyota were doing hybrids. Ford, for example, were sticking one-liter, three-cylinder turbocharged engines in their car. And even though on paper... The Toyota was getting better fuel economy and better CO2 output. In the real world, there's very little difference between them. And the, a hybrid has uses materials from all over the world. They're not very – and electric cars, hybrids, plug-in hybrids, the materials it takes to make the cars is incredibly damaging for our, our environment. Okay, we need focus. We need focus because we have to answer these questions for John because John needs a new car, right? Not a new car, a new old car. So should he trade this thing in now? Or is the environment going to get better? And should he trade this nasty thing in later in the year? I actually think the market's going to pick up a bit as a year goes by. So I think used car... So as he's upgrading, it's the cost of change. So God, yes, I hope he's upgrading. He, yeah, well, he can't downgrade from, from his current car, can he? No, I don't think so. So, uh, you know, so it's cost of change. So yes, right now he'll get less for his... Get less part of change his current car, but he'll buy his new car for less money as well. So yes, now is the time to do it. I think as the year progresses, yes, he'll probably get a little bit more back for his car, more for his current car, uh, but he'll pay more for the new car. Let's talk about what John's going to do when he goes to buy the new car. Uh, you've actually got a great guide to this, and um, I don't, I don't want to, you know, big up Ashley too much. But if you go to his website, there is a great guide to how to buy a used car. And obviously, if you don't want to read that, that's okay because Ashley's going to tell you right now what are the most important things you need to have in mind if you're going to trade in your unsuitable car for one that will make your children like you more. Absolutely. So. Um- I mean, the guide is 28 pages long, and I try to keep it short. And some of that is appendices. So there's a lot you can learn about how to buy a buy a car. And it's it's free to download from our website. So so anyone's very welcome to. If I was to, to, to distill it down into three top tips, I'd say top tip number one is to buy a car from someone you get on well with. Which sounds like a weird thing to do. And I, I know we all like to buy, to give our money to people we like, but there's something about that level of trust in your gut when you're spending so much money that's got to be right. You know, if something doesn't feel right or a deal just seems too good to be true, just walk away. Yeah. And you mentioned houses at the, at the, when we we're talking at the start. 
you know, houses are very different. Every house is different from, well, not every house, but virtually every house is different from it from another house. Cars are, are cookie cutter things. You know, if you buy a black uh, BMW 330i M Sport with beige interior, it's the same as every other one. So, you know, if one if one deal's not working out, you'll find another one out there. Uh, but yeah, to make you know, to buy for someone you like, and and please pick up the phone to them. Don't just look on their website or send them a message. Pick up the phone. You really want to find out whether you can mesh with someone. Talk to them on the phone. It's it's the best way to do it. And you know, if your spidey sense tingles, it's not right. You absolutely move on. So that's number one. Buy a car from someone you get on well with. That's always that's not always done me done me proud. Okay, and talk to them on the phone. People are so bad at talking on the phone these days. Just pick up the phone. You get more of a sense. Number two, get proof the car exists. The biggest scam out there at the moment is uh, criminals who will create a website that's a clone of an existing car dealer's website. So when you Google them, you see that it's that they're the real person, but it's a sp- it's, it's a spoof website with a spoof number. They advertise cars that are genuine cars, and people people get they called up or they go online or they don't call up. They place an order for this car. They expect it to be delivered, and the the, the car is never there, and their money disappears. And it, and it happens. It happens. It happens a fair amount. I I ran an experiment probably about fifteen years ago where I placed an advert in Auto Trader for a car that was twenty five percent below the value. And I cannot tell you how many calls and messages I have from people going, "I want to buy the car now. I'll send you the money now." You know, it's you know, make sure the car is physically there. Now that may mean going to go and physically see the car. It may mean using a car finding service. You know, of course, I can recommend a great one of those uh, to go and do the work for you. Uh, or it may mean you know buying a car from someone that you know is reputable, like a, a large outlet. There are lots of these direct car sales companies out there now, although they haven't fared quite as well as they would do because I think that the car by public has proved to the these, these disruptors that actually we want to go and see our cars. You know, uh, Carzam went into administration. With, there were three big ones around the start of lockdown, Carzam, Cinch, and Kazoo. Carzam went into administration uh, back in 2022. Kazoo has gone from Europe-wide to UK-wide to restructuring its debts in December, never being profitable. Cinch uh, are a large part of the Constellation Automotive Group. Uh, their site has been one of the reasons why that group's losing lots of money. You know, it's fine to go and see a car yourself, but please, please do that. Just take care of you, you know, making sure the car physically exists. So that's number two. Can I interrupt on that, Ted? Yes, Because uh, one please. of the things, I, I have actually read your user guide, you know, read it. One of the things that you say in there is to never agree to meet someone halfway. Oh, absolutely. Because a private buyer will often say, gosh, it's a long drive for you. I'll meet you halfway. We'll meet at the Costa at the What's It Shopping Centre. It's something that used to happen. I might be showing a little bit of my age here, but you, know, you meet someone at a service station with a bag of cash. Why do you want to show to go up to a service station and meet someone who knows where you're going there? You're going to have cash in your pocket or, to, or now to do a bank transfer. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's personal safety, people. Please remember that. You ready for number three? I am. Do your homework. And that means that you know, run a car data check on the car you're buying yourself to make sure everything stacks up. You know, when when a when a when a car dealer says, or oh, actually any seller says, full service history. Remember, the three words "full service history" are the three most abused words in the used car industry. Everyone says full service history, but you need to know whether your car is due servicing every year or every two years, and to find out from the from the seller that it had its service on a 
date, B date, C date, and E date, and it all checks up, and it's and it's all fine, and they have all the paperwork there. And, and third bit, if you're doing doing your homework, is have a look at who you're buying the car from. Look, if you're buying it from someone privately, it's not so easy. But if you're buying it from a dealer, look at their online reviews. If they're on somewhere like Auto Trader, they cannot edit those Auto Trader reviews. You know, have a look at that. You know, do your homework. Make sure that that, that there isn't someone out there. And if if someone has a negative review, same with any company, a good company worth its salt will reply to that negative review and offer their point of view and be fair about it and not too ranty. So yeah, look at that. So yeah, th- those are my three top tips. You know, buy a car from someone you get on with. Uh, make sure the car physically exists and do your homework. And for another ninety-five tips, download the guide for free. Now everyone's listened to you and they're excited to hear about your knowledge there. That you know, in their mind they're thinking, how many cars does Ashley have? What kind of cars does he have? Etc. And they're also thinking to themselves, if Ashley could buy one car right now to add to his fleet, that would be a really amazing car and would definitely offer value. Not a Bentley, we talked about Bentleys. What would it be? It would offer value. Well, offer value in the sense that it would offer value in terms of both the experience and the price. And crucially, hold its resale value. Though, so I, I'm sorry to give you two answers on this because a, that's not a question to ask me. For me, I want to buy a car that's going to keep its value and it's going to do well. I'll be looking at a 1980s Ferrari or something weird and bizarre like that. But, but I, I don't think most people should go out and buy a car like that because it's just not what they're looking for. For a normal person, and I am not normal when it comes to the world of cars because my tastes are very weird. For a normal person. I actually really like Hyundai's and Kia's. They, uh, especially on the used market, they're really well screwed together. They come with great equipment levels. They're good value, and they come with massive long warranties. Uh, will I ever buy a, a Kia or Hyundai? Maybe it's not. They're not going to be top on my list because I'm really into my cars. But for most normal people, I think that's where the value for money is right now. Absolutely. <laughs> Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been incredibly useful. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's Marin Talks Your Money. If you like our show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Also suggest topics you want us to hit in the comments section. This episode was posted by me, Marin Somerset Webb. It was produced by Samasadi, additional editing by Blake Maples, and special thanks, of course, to Ashley Winston. Get ready for Smart Money Happy Hour. Pull up a chair. It's the happy hour you wish your friends were having. Mix two money experts with some hot takes and a splash of nostalgia. And you get me, George Camel. And me, Rachel Cruz, talking unfiltered about what's going on in the world, pop culture, and how to afford a life you love. We're talking money, celebrity budgets, and my budget for my two French Bulldogs. It's a lot. <laughs> You'll hear it all on Smart Money Happy Hour. Listen on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.